Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So I want to start by telling a story to you guys. Um, so I watched a documentary in the week um, about a guy called Bernie Madoff. Does anyone know who Bernie Madoff is? No? Yes, a couple of people. Yeah, okay, a couple of people know who he is. I didn't know who Bernie Madoff was, but this documentary looked, looked interesting. And um, my wife, Jess, came in the room a couple of times while I was watching this, and she was like, man, this is so boring. You watch the most boring stuff. <laughs> And so I thought, well, if I talk about it this morning, then she's got it here. So she's going to, I get to tell my wife the story. So that's part of the reason, you know, for this. But it does relate to our message. So <laughs> Bernie Madoff, who was he? Well, Bernie Madoff grew up in, uh, in New York in the 30s. Uh, he uh, went to college. And then after college, he decided that he wanted to get into finance. And so what he did was he had a little bit of savings. And his father-in-law had a load of money, he was an accountant, and he borrowed a load of money from his father-in-law. And he decided to start this investment business, okay? So his father was recommending his accountancy clients to Bernie. Bernie was investing their money and then kind of reporting back to them whether he was making or losing money. Now, he was kind of treading water doing this, and then after a few years, there was a bit of a kind of hiccup in the market, and and he lost all of this money, right, of his father's clients that he'd invested, lost everything. Now, he was kind of in this position, uh, what he needed to do really was just, just tell people what happened, right? I failed, I've lost your money, I'm really sorry. But actually what Bernie Madoff decided to do in that moment was not tell anyone, borrow a bunch more money, and then just kind of cover it up, okay? Not tell these people he'd lost their money, but just borrow money and use that if you needed to pay them back. And he made the decision at this moment that rather than like, do this investment, what he'd do is he'd essentially start like a pyramid scheme. Okay, so the way this works is uh, the early investors, in order to pay them back, he'd get more investors and he'd get money from them and he'd use that to pay back the early investors, right? And then when he needed to pay them back, he'd get other investors and use their money to pay, pay those people back. And so this kind of pyramid scheme just like grew and grew and grew, went on for decades, okay? Now, kind of alongside this, um, Bernie Madoff started like a legitimate business. And so he had these two kind of bits of his business going on. He had the pyramid scheme, which was super shady, super illegal, super fraudulent, growing and growing and growing. And then he had this like legitimate business, uh, which is also a financial thing. And the legitimate business did quite well. Uh, His sons, he brought into this and they worked for legitimate business and kept them totally separate. And so in America, like everyone viewed Bernie Madoff as like this... Um, really respectable, successful guy because of his legitimate business. And he became the chairman for like the NASDAQ big stock exchange in America. And he, he seemed to be super successful, super legitimate. As far as his family knew, they were really wealthy because he was doing a great job. Meanwhile, he had this really shady, illegal pyramid scheme that was just getting out of control. So the thing with like a pyramid scheme and with what he was doing is it was inevitable that eventually it would blow up, right? Because the bigger it got, he was just digging the hole deeper and deeper. He was just throwing fuel on the fire. And eventually, it was going to blow up in his face. 
And the way this all came to a head was in 2008 when there was the financial crash. So what happened then was everyone was, who's got money invested anywhere, they want to get that money out because the markets are crashing. So what happened was um, all of the people that invested in this fund, they were like, we want to take our money out now. And this is when Bernie Madoff realized the game was up. Okay? Everyone was going to find out what a fraud he'd been over the past 30 years. Now he'd lost just all, all the investments of these people, their savings, their pensions, everything. So he went home, he told his wife and his sons essentially what he'd done. His sons reported into the FBI. And this is kind of a, I'll read a quote that kind of describes the fallout. The thousands of people and numerous charitable foundations who'd invested with Madoff, directly or indirectly through feeder funds, spent the early months of 2009 assessing their huge financial losses. Federal investigators continued to pursue suspects, including some other members of the Madoff family. Estimates of losses ranged from $50 billion to $65 billion. But investigators acknowledged that locating the missing funds might prove to be impossible. Uh, Madoff got a maximum sentence of 150 years in prison, and in 2021, he died in prison. And what really, what I couldn't get my head around, okay, watching this documentary was it wasn't the fact that this guy had done this evil thing and he'd, he'd stolen from all these people, because unfortunately we see that a lot in the world, right? <coughs> what I couldn't quite get my head around was how it was totally inevitable that in the future this would blow up. And he just kept kind of digging the hole. He kept throwing fuel on the fire, just couldn't get my head around this. And so, like... When I was preparing this week and I was thinking about this, I, I thought of this documentary and I was like, man, this guy embodies like the opposite of the principles that we've been looking at. Less is more. Stress is bad. Giving is good. Just took from all these people. But particularly like the principle that we're looking at today and, and the idea of today, if tomorrow matters, that was, that was the thing where I just couldn't get my head around it. It's like he's guaranteeing ruining himself and his family in the future so that he can have this appearance of success in the now and so that he could have wealth in the now. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, it's kind of a... It's really hard for me to get my head around how, how anyone could sort of have that mindset. But then I was thinking, is there like a little bit of that in all of us? How we maybe, rather than deal with kind of the problems of the future, they can seem so scary and so, um, so difficult to manage that we kind of just bury our heads in the sand. Do you know, do you know what I mean? And... So I guess this morning, as we look at this uh, fourth and final uh, message on money, and we think about tomorrow and how tomorrow is important as well, not just today, but tomorrow matters too, um, I guess I want to encourage us uh, to not bury our heads in the sand, uh, not be afraid, um, and actually to try and use, use money as a, as a uh, tool for God tomorrow as well as today. And so that's kind of what you're going to be thinking about. Okay, so we're going to be looking at Genesis 41, um, verses 25 to 36. There's no PowerPoint. Um, I'm going to read it to you. But if you do want to look it up, then I'll give you a few moments. Genesis 41, 25 to 36.
Okay, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They're seven years of famine. It's just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming up and store the grain uh, under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt, uh, that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Okay, so we're going to take three points out of these verses. Okay, um, So the first point is kind of a big picture one. And the first point is that tomorrow is in God's hands. Okay, And then there's kind of the challenging bit for us, the second point, which is that there's going to be times of plenty, but also times of need, that's for sure, Okay, in our lives. And then the third point is kind of the action point, which is that we're to use the fat cow years to prepare for the thin cow years in the language of the verses. Okay. So let's look at that first verse, the kind of big picture one. Tomorrow's, sorry, first point, tomorrow is in God's hands. So we look at verses 28 to 30, we read, Just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of abundance, seven years of famine. Verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. So what we see in these verses is that God has this plan for Egypt, right? He's going to do this thing in Egypt, but also he's got this plan for Joseph and for Israel as well, because Joseph's story is, is that he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he's ended up here in Egypt for this purpose, right? And ultimately, Israel comes into Egypt through this as well. And so God has this plan that he's enacting, right? God's got plans. And God's got plans for us as well. If you're a believer, God's got plans for you. And as we kind of get through this message, this is really important to remember because finance is something that we're not actually uh, ever super in control of, right? You know, what you, whether you're employed, what you earn um, is, is a little bit out of, out of your control. And particularly with this morning as we're looking long term, that's even more the case because what happens in the economy, what happens in your life, your health, all of that stuff over the next few decades of your life, how long you've got, that's pretty unpredictable and out of your hands in a lot of ways. And so it's really, really important for us to remember that God has plans for us. God isn't reactive or surprised by what's going on. He's proactive and in control and sovereign. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And you know, it's a promise that God made to his people, um, which we've inherited as Christians today. And so God has plans 
And God's plans for us go beyond this lifetime. It's the other important thing for us to remember when we think about finance and before we get into details is that God's plans go beyond this lifetime. So I don't know if you've heard this, kind of heard this said a few times, worship with your wealth, but don't worship your wealth. Worship with your wealth, but don't worship your wealth. 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says, don't look at things which are seen, but things which are not seen. For things which are seen are temporary, but things which are not seen are eternal. So, you know, there's eternal stuff and there's temporary stuff. A finance is temporary stuff, right? Luke 12, 33, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. So it's really important that we bear this in mind as we think about how do we steward our finances. It's not that uh, our finances are kind of ultimate and that's where our security is or anything like that. Actually, we need to put this stuff in perspective. God has a plan and there's eternal stuff and there's temporary stuff. And finance is one of these temporary things, okay? So this is a challenging bit, and we need to keep in mind that first part as we, as we start to think about the challenging stuff to do with finance. We need to see finance in its proper place, which is like a tool that we can use rather than something that's super fundamental in our lives. So let's look at verses 29 to 31, which we read before. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. So there'll be times of plenty and times of need in our lives. Times of plenty, you know, these are times when it's easy for you to cover your bills. Uh, You're healthy, you're employed, the economy's doing okay, you haven't got one of those random bills for your car that's like 500 pounds or something that's pop up. It's the times when we're reasonably comfortable, right? No nasty surprises. There'll be times of plenty in our lives when it comes to finance. I remember for us when me and Jess, when we got married, um, I was working, Jess was studying. And then when she started working as well, you know, dual income, no kids. It's like, man, <laughs> finances are so comfortable now. This is great. And, you know, that meant we could be generous and it meant it was easy to pay our bills and everything like that. That for us was kind of time of plenty. But then also, there will definitely be times of need as well, won't there? Um, And that can be due to like individual factors, like those bills that, they seem to always come in like waves, don't they? Like you'll get a few unexpected, like big, big expenses at once. Um, Or things that are a bit more predictable, like retirement, you know, um, most people in this country retire. That's a time when, we're, you know, we're, we're not necessarily going to have as much money. Uh, you might have children. There might be unexpected stuff that happens like illness or kind of layoff or death if you've got a family who depend on you. And then there's like economic stuff. So in the verses we looked at, this is like a time of need that affected a whole nation, wasn't it? Like it, it wasn't an individual thing. And we're kind of in a place maybe a bit like that at the moment, aren't we? Since, since COVID started, the, fi- the economy's been a bit all over the place. Maybe there's going to be a recession. Maybe there's going to be a bunch of unemployment. We've got a load of inflation. We've got this dynamic in this country where there's a low birth rate and people are living a long time. So in the future, you know, that might cause challenges as well. And so there's all sorts of like things that are out of our control completely 
which mean we'll go through times of need. Times of plenty, times of need. Loads of unpredictability. I think the only predictable thing is that we will face times of need at some point. Um, I read this. Uh, I read about this survey and read you a quote. Uh, July survey of more than 8,000 UK adults carried out by Shelter and YouGov revealed that close to 40% of UK households are one paycheck from potential homelessness. 37% of respondents would be unable to cover the housing costs for more than a month, with almost a quarter of those surveyed saying that they'd be unable to pay them at all if they lost their job. Okay? So that sounds like sort of a time of need, and that's pretty much half the UK population. Okay? So we're going to face times of need. And when we look long term, all of this is like even more unpredictable. And, you know, I, I told this story at the beginning and how this guy, Bernie Madoff, like buried his head in the sand. And for me, it's like, wow, I just can't, I can't understand how someone is willing to just guarantee like this future disaster for today. But I think that when we think about finance and we think long term, there are so many variables and it's so unpredictable and it can feel so difficult and hard that we can all be a bit like that, right? Bury our heads in the sand. We can look at these things. I know I can if I sort of sit down and try and think about pension. It's like, well, what do you put into that? You know, what's going to happen? Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? I don't know. Um, loads of uncertainty. I don't know what that's like for you. I don't know if that stresses you out. I don't know if it's something you tend to ignore, the long-term planning because of this stuff or not. Um, but that's all the challenging stuff, okay? So third point is to use the fat cow years to pay for the thin cow years. That's what we get from this story. Use the fat cow years to pay for the thin cow years. Let's look at verses 34 to 36. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt, so the country may not be ruined by the famine. So God's plan here, which Joseph kind of executes Pharaoh when he thinks about, well, who can I put in charge to do this? He chooses to put Joseph in charge to do this. And so this plan is to put aside when there's plenty and the times of plenty to put something aside for the times of need uh, to prepare Proverbs 30 says, Four things on earth are small, yet they're extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. And there's three other things that are small that I'm not, not going to mention. Um, and so this is kind of a biblical principle, right? To, in the times of need, to set things aside for the times, or the times of plenty, to set things aside for the times of need. So... I want to tell you a bit about kind of what we've done and what I've done when it comes to our finances to kind of try and apply this stuff, okay? So a bunch of years ago, when Jess was working, I mentioned we had this kind of time of, oh, we've got, you know, our finances are comfortable now. And then I guess after a little bit of time, maybe a year or so, Reflected, and it's like we're not actually kind of saving any money or, or anything like that, even though we've got more money now, right? And so one thing we did is we put a budget together, worked out what are we doing with our money, where's it going, what are we spending it on? And we realized we were spending money on 
stuff that wasn't that important, right? We're spending more than we realize on things that we didn't value that much. Um, and so we did a better job with how we spent our money and we built up a bit of a kind of cash buffer. So we got pretty far away from that living paycheck to paycheck thing. Um, during that time, one thing, one thing that happened is um, we're both, both working and we're pretty comfortable financially. And I work in uh, software. And I decided I wanted to try and make my own thing, right? And so I went part-time. I went down to three days a week in my job. And we were still OK financially. And I spent the other two days trying to build this app. I was thinking, I'll start a business, OK? Um, and I worked on this thing. And it was, it was really fun. I enjoyed it. Um, and, but time just kind of went on and on. And I guess probably after a little while, I kind of probably, probably like a year or so, I was like, you know, I'm not sure this is really going anywhere. But I kind of buried my head in the sand a little bit with that and just kept going because I'd invested all this time in it and it was quite fun. And our finances were reasonably comfortable. Kept doing it. And then kept going and going. And, and I think I ended up spending about three years doing this thing. And it was when we had Luca and Jess was coming to the end of her maternity leave and I was sat in bed one day. I think I had a stomach bug, which is pretty common, as I've learned when you've got kids. And I sat in bed, and I was just sat there, and I was like, you know, I can't just, I can't just ignore this thing anymore, right? Actually, Jess is going to stop working. That was what, what she wanted to do and, and what, you know, I agreed with. And I'm just here working three days a week, spending two days a week on this thing, which is quite fun, but it's kind of sacrificing the future for today, right? Rather than sacrificing, making a bit of a sacrifice now in order to prepare for the future. So... Um, so it's pretty hard, but something I, did, I decided then was actually I need to stop this. I need to go back full time. I need to uh, look after the family, provide, and be a bit more future-minded. And so I did that, got life insurance, so that if I die, there isn't all this unnecessary stress for Jess. You know, the house will be paid for. I went back full time and, you know, avoided just the unnecessary stress like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago of struggling to pay the bills, which is a position we probably would have been in. Um, what I'm doing now is trying to sort out a pension um, and just reduce stress in retirement, being in a position where we can still be generous in retirement. I don't know about the rest of you, but it's something I just didn't really sort out for a long time. Um, and I guess in all of this, what I'm doing is I'm praying that, that God will protect me from the idolatry of thinking that actually this money is what it's all about, right? What I have in retirement, what I have in pension, this is going to be where my security is. So I'm praying for wisdom that I could be diligent with that stuff, but also that it wouldn't, wouldn't go into idolatry at the same time. I guess overall, I'm making some sacrifices now in order to make things less stressful in the future. First uh, Timothy uh, 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You might have heard this verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so I'm doing the practical stuff and I'm looking at verses like this and thinking, yeah, money's a tool that I want to wield effectively for God. But what I don't want to do 
is fall into the trap of thinking that my security comes from this money, right? Um, so pretty much coming to the end now. It's a pretty practical message this morning. I want to recap the points. Tomorrow's in God's hands. God is sovereign. He is proactive. He is in control. And if you're a believer, God has plans for you that stretch into eternity, right? Now, in this life, there's going to be times of plenty and times of need when it comes to our finance, just inevitable. But we can go into those times of need, not scared and burying our head in the sand, but knowing that actually God holds tomorrow in his hands. God has a promise, promises for us that stretch into eternity, no matter what our finances look like. And we can see both of those things and say, okay, well, we want to use what finance we do have as effectively as possible. We don't want to be unnecessarily stressed. We want to be generous. We want to help those in need, not just today, but next week and next year and in 20 years' time. And so what can we do to facilitate that? You know, how can we do that most effectively? That's, that, those are the questions. So I guess just in closing, um, I just want to ask the question maybe, what do you need to do? You know, I've told you some of the things that my journey a little bit with finance and thinking a little bit longer term, you might be a completely different personality to me. My personality is kind of bury my head in the sand and not deal with the stressful stuff around finance. But actually, it's really important. We don't want to stress ourselves out unnecessarily. We want to be able to use our finance effectively. What do you need to do? Do you need to think about some of these practical things like pension or life insurance or budgeting? Or are you doing all that stuff? And actually, do you need to think about this idolatry side? Is, your, is all of your security tied up in the financial stuff? What do you need to do?